0: John Copenhagen and Al Warren, heard
2: on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles,
3: 102.3 FM Riverside,
2: and 1050
3: AM Palm Springs. And, uh, he's got a newer book out, just came out in July, called Death Overdue. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today, David.
1: Well, thank you, Ellen, for having me. It's a pleasure.
3: So, um, before we get into Death Overdue, uh, you've written quite a few books. Um, where did it start for you? Where did the writing bug come from?
1: Uh, you know, I like to say it started in my childhood. <laughs> I, had it. I You know, it was, a, it was a fairly normal childhood, but then up until about, oh, let's say, fourth grade. I grew up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is uh, the southeast corner of the state. And uh, I was the youngest of four kids. And in um, fourth grade, my parents decided to move across town, so I had to start in a new school. And I was a very shy child. I was very awkward. I had really thick glasses. I had a mild speech impediment. I had to go to speech class, or I couldn't pronounce my S's correctly. So you know, there I was, starting over at a new school. I knew no one. was totally out of place. I was awkward. I was bullied. Uh, that first year, my new best friend was a light pole. <laughs> uh, yeah, I named him Willie. And, you know, he and I would it, it would hang out at recess and watch the other kids play four-square and tetherball. And, you know, so we we just, we just were buds. And he was like an imaginary friend. Um, sometimes I'd walk over to the school playground and talk to him and make up stories about him, which is kind of where my imagination thing came into play. And, uh, and then one winter, you know, it gets cold here, just like it does uh, up in Canada. One winter after school, I was feeling really sad and lonely. Trudged over to the playground, gave Willie a little kiss, and my lips froze to him. <laughs> <laughs> just like in the movie Christmas Story, it was my lips, my tongue. Um, and I left a trail of blood in the snow all the way home. And that, that was kind of the end of me and Willie. But, uh, you know, Junior I wasn't much better. But... Uh, so I guess it's really no wonder I started to uh read and write for my solace and I like to say my imaginary world has always been and still is a happier place. It's you know it's kind of a place of peace and joy and wonder and yeah, a little
3: murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to be better than the real world at times, especially lately.
2: Definitely.
3: Um, Definitely. You know, I have to wonder. You know, when I was uh, young, I'm I'm autistic, so I had much the same experience, um, more alone, and um, I didn't freeze to any pole, but I, um, <laughs> I sort of had the speech problem, and I had it's taken years to work on it. Now I'm older, I can I still have to practice, especially being on radio and writing, but um, I wonder if that in itself doesn't create a lot of emotion for you um and do you also notice that you probably or for me anyway i i i observe other people and what they do um probably more than normal
1: yeah i would definitely say so i mean i, I observe i love to, to watch people uh wherever it is if it's you know at a restaurant or in the mall or at an airport and uh i always like to think of backstories for people that I see. So that's always, I find it fascinating. So, yeah, definitely that alone time with me and Willie on the playground and watching the other kids play and my mind going like a a whirlwind has is, is definitely helped me with my writing. Uh, I think Lewis, it was Lewis Carroll who once said, imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality. And I always used that weapon very liberally and I still do.
3: <laughs> mm. um, now, you y- it looks like the your books are all about murder. Um, okay. So the, the, these are all fiction murders. They're not. You're not doing any real story murders. Like you're not following a real case. So you have to create these in your mind. So where does that, where does the murder come from?
1: Uh, from maybe from a dark place in my head. I don't know. Um, no, the person who gets murdered is usually is usually a rather vile character in my books. And uh, growing up, I was also huge old movie fan. I loved all the 1940s movies, the Thin Man series, all the Agatha Christie films. Um, And so I thought, you know, I I love those, and I think I could, and I would always, especially Agatha Christie, I mean, I love her, but I would always pick apart her, her mysteries and say, oh, that's a little unbelievable, or oh, that's not quite right. And I think, you know, I thought, well, I could do that better. So... Um, I start with a murder, it's usually how I begin my writing, and because I have to know who gets murdered, and how they get murdered, and why they get murdered, and who does it, and i got to have some clues that are left behind, because I try to make it uh, that somebody could possibly figure it out, and hopefully they don't, and then I kind of work backwards to the beginning of the book, so yeah, that's, um, and I always try to change it up a little bit, like if somebody gets stabbed in one book, then I dig the murderer gets shot in the next one, etc., so. Yeah, i changed change it up a
3: little bit. Keep it in. You know, you know um, the new Perry Mason series is really good. Oh, I haven't seen that. You have to watch it. if Because like, all I do is, for myself, um, I'm Turner Classic Movies and, you know, the old Me TV and all that stuff. So I'm really into old movies, too. But the, awesome. Perry Mason is taken from the 1920s. Cases, oh. the books, the old writings, so it's it's pretty raw, it's gritty, and it's very it's very well done, and they've done it very well. The first case is eight eight shows, and uh, it's it's there's a lot of good stuff in it. I I think it's done well and very old old style, which I like. So it's, I recommend it. But um, oh, now, so when you do these, like, uh, so you, you start with the murder, and of course you you work back so that people get a story. The person that's murdered is, is, like you said, you said you'd like to boot characters that, you know, are not necessarily the best. Um, are, are they based on people you know or have met?
1: Um, they can sometimes be a composite of different people that I know or have met. Um, and a lot of times there are characters that I've observed, and uh, I take some vile vile traits from people that I've seen maybe on on the news or things like that. (laughs) There's plenty of them. (laughs) Let me guess,
3: Republicans? No, I'm uh, (laughs) not. I'll get the backlash for that one. (laughs) Well, I I just say that because one of the first crime fiction writers I ever interviewed was J.D. Horn. And he said that if you die in his book, um, it's someone he didn't like. He's always using people that have treated him, him badly in some way or another in his life. And he writes them into his book and kills them.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and, and there is a little bit of that. I was, you know, I was, uh, many years ago, uh, I was gay bashed outside of a bar and uh, put in the hospital. And uh, some it was a very nasty group of men that did that. They were never caught. So, yeah, in my books, you know, I, I somewhat try to, punish
3: them by killing those kinds of people <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. It it well and it's it it, it I guess you see, cause to me that would be a, a sort of therapy. It is.
1: It totally is, yep. It totally is a, a form of therapy for sure.
3: Yeah, that's how I would look at it. I mean I I've never ventured into uh crime fiction and I, I I'm too scared to get into that area. I don't know how I would do. I, I I like taking true crimes, meeting people, and doing that, and it just seems to, it, it works for me. Um, yeah. I, I think I would defend too many people. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my book's
1: The Good Guy Always Wins. And, you know, that's, I, like, I grew up with MGM musicals, too, and it's like you always got to have a, a happy ending.
3: So <laughs> it's, got to, it's got to move. Well, you know, because when we are in the world that we are today, with all of all of the things going on, so we've got like the COVID, and we've got people, uh, the Black Black Lives Matter protests, and we've got uh, the, the the nutball president. So we've got all these things going on. Lots of stress, fighting, anti-maskers, and all that stuff. So every single day, you turn on the news, you see something like that, and it's all around you. And if we go out to the store, all of the stuff is going on. Um, has that affected your writing?
1: Well, you know, my books are all, are all historical. Um, you know, they're all set in 1947. So far, I kind of started early in the year, and I've been working my way through the year. So I've got at least 12 good books out of that year. Um, so what's going on currently doesn't super reflect what's happening in my books, but definitely there are parallels. Uh, I try to address a lot of situations. I definitely try to address homophobia because my detective is obviously a very closeted gay detective. I try to address uh, women's issues and spousal abuse and all those kinds of things and what they were like back then versus, uh, you know, comparing them to what life is like now. I'm hoping the reader would, would see those parallels. So.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's important. But I, but, but I just wonder, like, um, I think what I'm getting at as well is uh, when there's there's this drama and trauma going on in, in your life around you, do you tend to write darker in your books? Does, do your books tend to – do you find yourself being a little bit more negative than normal, I think? Yeah,
1: I can definitely see that that comes through. I'm working on a new book right now. And, uh, but I, I like also like to think of my writing as my escape from all that craziness in the world. So I sometimes, sometimes it turns a little bit happier and I'm like, uh ah, maybe I'm going a little too happy because that's my imagination world and I want it to be a happier place. But yeah, I definitely, you know, when I get depressed and think about what's going on out in society and, and in the country and in the world, I, I can definitely, uh, Draw, I can definitely write some very vile characters. Yeah.
3: So now, how do you develop your character? So you've got this death override, and um, maybe let's let's talk a little bit about that and and the story there. Um, so what's the what's the premise of the story first off?
1: Of my latest book, Death Overdue.
3: Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: So, yeah, that's, that's actually the fifth book. It's a series. So it starts out with uh, a character called Heath Barrington, and he lives in Milwaukee. It's 1947, and he is involved with a uh, police officer, a Milwaukee police officer named Alan Keys, and the two of them basically solve crimes in each, in each, in each book. Now, a lot of people ask me, do you have to start at the beginning? or can you read them out of sequence? I think it's probably best to start at the beginning and read all all of them, but you don't have to. They're all standalone stories as well. Um, Death Overdue is, like I said, the fifth book in the series, and it's definitely about the murder of a rather vile character. We were talking about that earlier, and, and he is one of the more vile people I've written. He is... uh He he cheats on his wife, he hits his wife, he abuses her, he uh, dabbles in underworld crime, and he blackmails, and that's basically how the book starts out. Uh, He finds out about Heath Barrington and Alan Keyes, and then he puts the pieces together and figures out that they are a homosexual couple, which is obviously very taboo in 1947. So, um, he gets murdered, which, you know, that's a good thing. And, uh, he actually becomes a suspect in the murder, obviously, because he had been blackmailed by this guy. And, uh, thanks to a few too many martinis that he, that he indulged in the day of the murder, even he's not really sure he didn't do it, which I thought was kind of a fun little twist. So he's, he's trying to put the pieces together and, Proof, hopefully prove his innocence that he did not murder this nasty man.
3: So so this character, Heath, um, where does he come from? And, and how do you develop him? So you've got him over five books so far. So, so how do you bring him along, like um, from the beginning until now? You've got to add things to his character. And it, it always makes me – I'm always most curious about that. So because so many of – Crime writers say that their characters are like their children, so they're very close to their characters. So I'm just wondering what you feel about that.
1: Definitely. Uh, well, I always feel like Heath is, is a better version of me. He's, uh, <laughs> he's better looking. He's smarter. He certainly has a better wardrobe than I do. Uh, he can certainly hold his liquor better than me. Um, but yeah, he's definitely developed over the, over the five books. Actually, the sixth book is coming out in February with him in it. That's a prequel. It's a throwback to before he met Alan. But, uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed showing him grow as a character and showing his flaws. Uh, in Death Overdue, he meets a female librarian in previous books, he's always been kind of like talking down to Alan and and uh, he's always been, like, correcting Allen's flaws and mistakes and, and uh, showing that he speaks French and he knows all these famous quotes, et cetera. And in this book, the librarian actually uh, shows him up a couple of times. She corrects him when he uh, misquotes a famous person and corrects him when he doesn't speak French properly, etc. So it's been kind of fun to yeah, have him taken down a couple of pegs by this, uh, this female character. And she was a lot of fun to write as well. So it's definitely, he's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's, if, if he was alive, if he was a real person, he would definitely be somebody I would want to be really good friends
3: with. So what do you want people to get out of your books? Do you have some sort of, a, 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 some sort of subject or thought that you want people to have or walk away with?
1: Well, you know, first and foremost, I want them to be entertained. Uh, I wanted to say, "Oh, that was a great mystery i wasn 't able to figure it out, uh, or I did figure it out, but I really enjoyed it um, i 've gotten definitely some some very nice feedback from fans and some very nice emails um, actually from all over the world, which has been great, and people seem to seem to like the characters they seem to like the stories and you know as I said before, I always try to throw in some some uh, topics that are that are relevant today like like homophobia and and also teach younger people today what it was like uh... for gay people back in nineteen forty seven and lavender marriages uh... hiding and and being afraid that you're going to be fired or arrested or even lobotomized for being gay so i definitely hope i am teaching that in my books as well um... bringing the history to life some people say why don't you write contemporary fiction and I have thought about that. But I like the historical aspect of it, and I like the history of it, and I think that uh, we have to remember our past in order to move forward.
3: Yeah, that seems to be um, something that we keep forgetting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, now you've written quite a few books. How many of you got out now?
1: Uh, there's five out with this last one that just came out, and the sixth book will be out in February. And then I'm working on seven, eight, and nine <laughs> simultaneously.
3: Here you go. Uh, <laughs> so now, have you do, do you find it hard to publish a book with gay characters in it still these days?
1: Well, my publisher is Bold Strokes Books. They have published all. Five of the books and the publishing book six as well, and hopefully they will continue the series. They have been great. Um, they have been absolutely wonderful. It's a great group of people to work for. Um, I can't say enough nice things about them. So now in that regard, no. And in all the years, knock on wood, I've only gotten one negative uh, email from somebody who read my books who basically told me uh, I stink at writing. I'm no good, and he threw the book in the trash. So uh, he <laughs> he was uh, he he didn't like the gay aspect of the books at all. So that was really the only bit of of that that I've ever encountered. But every, everybody else has been great, and my publisher's been awesome. So
3: yeah, I, I still find it interesting. Um, people get different experiences. Uh, well, that's good. What so what What do you? Well, I guess. So, what kind of advice would you give to uh, a person that's uh, trying to write a book or they're writing a book and um, they want to publish it? What would you suggest? You know,
1: that's always a difficult thing. Um, I tried, it took me over five years to find Bold Strokes books. I would submit, because I actually wrote my first book, uh, Death Comes Darkly. Oh, it's probably going on 15 years ago, um, but it took me a very, very, obviously very, very long time. It was only published about six years ago to get it published. And what I found, what I did, um, I don't know, everybody's different, but I would try going to bookstores and the library, and I would look up books in my genre and see who the publisher was, and I'd be like, oh, okay, well, this publisher likes to publish these kinds of books. So then I would send, off, I would look them up online. The online is, online is definitely a writer's friend and find out uh, how to contact them, what their requirements were for submitting a work. And then I would send off a query. Uh, actually, when I first started, I was doing it, you know, um, basically by hand and mailing in the queries. And then I would wait and wait and wait. And then of course it changed to all email electronic. And then, you know, and most of them require that you can only submit to them at one time. You can't submit to multiple, so then you have to wait um, sometimes up to two months, and then they'll say, no, no thank you, and then you go on to the next. It's basically an exercise in patience. Um, but, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend anybody who's written something, go to the library or go to a bookstore and check out other books in your genre and find out who the publisher was and then. Start contacting them, and then just be patient and be persistent. That's the biggest. That's the biggest advice I can give.
3: Yeah, and that's that is really that that is a good that's a smart way of doing it. Really, to go uh, find out because you know you're going to do best trying to get a publisher that publishes your type of books uh, rather than go to someone that has not a clue. Right, they're doing something different.
1: Absolutely, I would not. I would not send a query letter to you know some. Right wing Christian
3: groups. So. <laughs> yeah, or or a children's book place, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't send that off either. No, nope, nope. Well you never know. Um <laughs> Wow. So um where do you see yourself going over the next uh ten, twenty years? Do you um wanna keep doing this sort of thing or do you think you want to do something different?
1: Well I I, I love what I'm doing. Uh I love the characters. Um How far I can take them remains to be seen. Uh, I have written some other books, too, that I have not yet submitted with some other characters. and I am still thinking about maybe doing something a little more contemporary. Um, A lot of people have written me and said they would love to see the series made into a movie, which I would absolutely adore, Uh, of course. I would love to see it on the screen and see the characters uh, come to life visually. Um, but that, you know, obviously isn't up to me, but it, I would certainly love for that to happen, and, and I've certainly got a lot of people that have said that as well, and everybody asks me uh, who I think should play Heath and who I think should play <laughs> but, uh, <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, there you go. Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. So who, who does David Peterson uh, turn to for inspiration?
1: For inspiration, for my writing, uh, you know, I still go back to the classics. Um, I still go back to Agatha Christie. I still go back to Raymond Chandler. Um, I still go back to the Thin Man movies. <laughs> just, I adore William Powell and Myrtle Loy. Um, and I, I just can watch those kinds of movies all day. And, and then my mind just starts whirling with, uh, with ideas.
3: So, so you like uh, humor in, in, a, in a mystery as well.
1: I definitely try to always include some humor, for sure. Yeah, um, I have a character in, that's basically been in all of the books. He's Aunt Aunt Verbena, who has become a fan favorite, and uh, she she brings a lot of humor to the uh, to the books. So she mispronounces words, and she puts Heath in his place too. So and she's one of my favorites. I, I love her. So yeah, I think I think life without humor would be a very sour place. So
3: yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it it adds a realist realistic kind of I don't know a charm sort of that people can relate to in a way. Um, um, yeah, I I think it's a good thing.
1: Yep, I think so too. I, and and I and I tend to think of myself as a funny guy. I mean, most people think I'm kind of corny, but <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I think I'm. So. Well, you know how it is. Can't win. Can't. can't win. So, how do 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 um do people's reviews and reviews on you? Does, does it matter to you? Does did do, do you let it affect you or?
1: I would love to say they, they don't affect me, <laughs> but I am one of those people that you know. I, as my husband would say, I'm am a fretter and a worrier, and and I do fret and I do worry, and I, you know that that one negative email that I did get, you know, I, I realized that that was just one person and that one person's opinion, but yeah, you know, it bothered me. And, and, and when I get a, a good review, a really good review, it definitely, it makes my day, it boosts my spirits and, and makes me want to continue writing. So I love hearing from people and when, if it's something constructive, criticism, I definitely try to take that and, and use that and work with it.
0: But, um,
1: yeah, I, I definitely think reviews matter to me, for better or worse. I I like to hear what people have to say.
3: Well, what's what's the most important thing? Do you think is it the story or is it the actual uh, uh, literature, like the way the way it's written?
1: Well, I I think the story is is probably the most important. I mean, I I just did a book panel through Boldstrokes books about uh, setting, the other main character, and. Uh, they were asking, you know, what's, what's the most important, is setting more important or plot or character? And, you know, they're all important, obviously, but, you know, without a plot, without a story, I don't think you, I don't think you have a book. And with, you know, without characters or without setting, it's going to be a pretty boring book. So, um, I think, I think the story itself is definitely very important, but, the way it's written, it's also, I mean, it, it all kind of goes together. It's like a puzzle. If you're missing a piece, you're not going to have a pretty picture.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I, I personally always say that the story is the most important to, yeah. to, write, to write from the heart or from the gut. And, uh, you know, good editors can make up for, um, you know, Absolutely, and I, I, I've been fortunate to have the same editor for all
1: six books, and Jerry wheelers he's just been tremendous to work with. He's a very talented person and an author in his own right, too.
3: Agents, do you believe in them? Uh, you know, I do.
1: I don't have one. Uh, my husband kind of works as my part-time agent, part-time publicity person. Um, I've thought of pursuing an agent. Um, I started looking for an agent before my first book was published because people said, oh, it's easier to get published if you have an agent, but most agents wouldn't uh, talk to me because I didn't have a book published. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> so at this point I do not, but uh, I definitely think they can do some good for sure. But, you know, there's good and bad, so.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, they can be helpful in certain cases for sure. I, I just wonder, you know, I uh, always check to see what, what, what people are doing in their lives with that. And, and, and how is life now with uh, COVID and all that? Has it affected your life? Do you change? Have you changed? Oh, yeah. I
1: mean, how can you not? Um, you know, it's, uh, I've always been a very social person. And so that's all been put on the back burner. Um, you know, if I do meet a friend, it's six feet away outdoors wearing a mask. So it's, it's definitely been a challenge. Um, you know, my husband and I are fortunate that that we have a big circle of friends and family, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's been virtual, virtual happy hours, uh, online and playing games online with, with other people and, and. Video chatting, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, and you know, obviously a lot of things have been canceled. I was supposed to go to New Orleans for a book conference that was canceled. Uh, I was supposed to buy uh, my book last year, and the year before it was nominated for two Lambda Literary Awards, and we were supposed to go to New York for the ceremony, and that got canceled. So it's it's definitely had an impact on, I think, on everybody, unfortunately. But we're gonna get, we're all gonna get through it. Let's hope, anyway.
3: Yeah, you know, um, what do you think about the country and the way it is now? Um, and I, not not even being political, but with the um, conspiracies, you know, and stuff like um, so many people running around saying, "Okay, COVID's a hoax and it's not real," and and all of this stuff. And the flat earthers, there's like three hundred thousand plus in the U.S. now. Um, what, what what do you make of all of this? Um, you know, this this conspiracy thinking and living, and so many people.
1: Yeah, it, it scratch, I scratch my head. Uh, you know, I try to keep telling myself that that's the minority, and, you know, people have their beliefs, uh, but it just, it does make me wonder, and, and it does make me worry, but uh, I keep telling myself, and my husband keeps telling myself, because I am a warrior, he tells <laughs> me that, you know, that, that they're the minority, and, and that even, you know, some of these you see some of these awful videos online of people yelling and screaming and hitting other people and having temper tantrums. And it's like, yeah, but you don't see the videos of people that are behaving well and behaving themselves and, and, and being kind to other people. And and I really think, you know, being kind to other people and being patient is, is what's going to get us through this.
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you know, it's just human nature to look at the, uh, the crash or the accident or the the you know the woman running through you know screaming at someone the karen they call her yes the karen yes uh, it, it, but it's terrifying to me i'm i'm a little worried because there's becoming so many people that um because even voting um trump out uh those people don't leave and there's a good 30 35 percent that are really into this uh, QAnon and Flat Earth, haven't been on the moon, hoax of virus, and yeah. uh, that—that's that, sort of distressing to me because people live their lives believing that.
1: This is true. Yeah, but you know, those kinds of people, I think, have always been around in the world, and and uh, I, I, I'm—I like to think that we're just hearing more about them now because of social media and stuff. And
3: yeah, yeah, so. it's probably right. We we see them now. They're on TikTok. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> until until it's banned from the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> so and and the last. So what do you do for fun? Like what is it? What is what is it that uh, David Peterson does typically for fun? I know with COVID a lot of things are canceled, but um, what what is it that you like to do that um, gives you kind of a? Well, what?
1: One, th- one thing we've been doing a lot. We always have. I mean, uh, my husband and I go for daily walks and I love to find quirky little pictures to take that I post uh, on, on social media seen on my daily walks that uh, people seem to enjoy. And we still try to exercise uh, regularly. We bought some home fitness equipment. Um, and so we, we try to stay in uh, physical shape as much as we can. I love to read. I love old movies. Uh, like you mentioned Turner classics. It's just a, a godsend for <laughs> for evenings, and so I love I love reading. I love I love uh, old movies and, and the old sitcoms, me TV, Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, all that good stuff. And I also do a lot of architectural drawing. Uh, I used to really before I started really getting into writing, I wanted to be an architect in the worst way. So, and that's something that I think is is kind of a tie in with my books. It's been kind of interesting because I create the environments for my books, if they're fictional environments. So, for example, uh, my third book, Death Checks In, takes place at a fictional hotel in downtown Chicago called the Edmonton. So I actually, on my CAD architect program, designed the entire hotel, uh, lobby up to the top uh, restaurant on the top floor, all the rooms and everything, and uh, I'll post floor plans and renderings from those things on my website periodically so that people can get a visual of these locations, at least what, what I think they look like. Everybody's got a different opinion, but I think it's kind of fun to do that. So it's a, it's a, a lovely hobby for me, too.
3: Do visual aids really help you in your writing, then?
1: Um, for me, it does, uh, at least as far as the architecture goes, because, well, for example, in Book 6, part of that takes place on the Queen Mary, the original Queen Mary that was launched in 1936, and the rest of it takes place in a old English estate, uh, which kind of harkens back to my Agatha Christie stuff. And so I had to create the fictional uh, estate that I named Heatherwick. And when I'm writing the book, I have, you know, okay, so Heath and Simon left the dining room and crossed the hall and went da 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 So when I write stuff like that, I actually have the floor plan off to the side so that I can make sure I'm actually walking them through a, a, a location that makes sense so that they're not, uh, you know, in the next chapter, they're not actually walking into the backyard when they're supposed to be walking into the hall or something like that. So for me, that helps.
3: So there must be... A lot of research, especially in historical fiction, because you 've got to go back to that time you 've yes. got to see what people liked what 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 they were doing in music or theater or art, what they were doing for work, how they dressed how they uh spoke to each other um, all of that 's really important right you that must take some time
1: oh it absolutely is important. I try very hard to get the details correct, and i 'm fortunate you know obviously i have The the internet at my fingertips, but I don't always trust that either. Fortunately, my husband is a retired librarian, so he's been a huge help, uh, in looking up things like that. And then I've got some wonderful friends on social media groups. Um, for example, the, I mentioned the Queen Mary from 1936. Um, I tried to research, uh, and get that as accurate as I could. And I have some wonderful ocean liner social media groups and people on there that have helped me with that too. Uh, One of the things was how long did a crossing take in 1936, 1937 on the Queen Mary? You know, today it takes six to eight days, but today the speed is is not the issue, it's the the experience. Back then the Queen Mary averaged four days. So I actually used a real timeline for a crossing from 1937 uh, and I based my book on that as far as when they reached the Ambrose uh, Lightship, and when they reached Southampton, and when they reached uh, France, and all that. So, so that it, the timeline was accurate. And then, of course, what they dressed, what they wore. You know, nobody dresses the first night out that type of thing on an ocean liner. So, I tried to get all the details correct, even down to how much people have typically tipped the you know, the people on the ship and. And how the servants were treated in an English ship back then, uh, kind of a la Downton Abbey, sort of. So, yeah, uh, I try very, very hard to get the details right. And if I make any mistakes, it's all me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I try to do the best I can. And people will call me on it.
3: Believe me. Well, I think it's really important. Some of the some of the things that bothered me the most about um, modern productions especially on Netflix or something, and you're watching a show, a series, and it's taking place back years ago, and they use something like phrases you use today. Yes. And it just, it just drives me nuts. So I'm sorry for your loss. But, you know, different phrases that we use every day today, and it's something they're trying to say is, is part of the 1940s, and it's like, no, it, it throws me. You too. I noticed that too.
1: I was I was I was watching something that was set in 1920 something, and the, they actually had the woman say, "No problem," you
3: know. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. But I guess you know, in a way, they're probably under a lot of pressure. You know, if you're doing these series, you're probably be putting them out like crazy, and it's just very formulated. You know, you just kind of write the script. I guess I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would. Have
3: been so. Yeah, it's too bad because it does throw someone if you're really, if you're from the time or interested. Do you ever go to some of these cities that you write about too to find out the feel of the city or the place? Definitely,
1: yeah. Because um, um, details do matter. So yeah, uh, we're not, luckily we're not far from Chicago. So when I wrote Death Overdue, we, we took a couple trips down to Chicago and checked it out. Uh, most of my books have been set in Milwaukee. So that's easy because that's where I am right now. Um, and then my first book was set in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I did spend a weekend down there, too, exploring that area. And I have been to England. I didn't, I didn't revisit England for my sixth book, unfortunately. I would have loved to, um, uh, but, uh, with all the COVID stuff and everything going on, it was not, 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 uh, not feasible. But I have been there, so yeah, um... In addition to the online research and the library research, I do in-person research as well. Uh, I thought it was interesting with uh, one of my books, I made a comment about the Milwaukee Brewers, which is our local baseball team, and somebody called me out on that and said, oh, it should have been the Milwaukee Braves. Uh, But fortunately, uh, in that case, I did have some research help. And it actually was the Milwaukee Brewers in 1947. They were a minor league team at that time. And then they left, and then the Braves came in, and then it went back to the Brewers. So people definitely pay attention to those types of things.
3: <laughs> They're calling you on it. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> They're <laughs> watching. Okay. That's all right. Keep me on my toes. No, it's good. I think it's good to have well-researched. It, it, it adds to authenticity, right? It makes it feel yes. real and and uh, i think it's really important because yeah. the worst thing in the world is is just having uh, you know let something go in in a script or in uh the wording and it, it i find it hard to take my attention then uh, it it i get focused on that and then i start looking for it so then that <laughs> I agree, and my my editor has been really good with that too. I mentioned it before Jerry Wheeler;
1: he's been really good with uh, if if I do slip something in that doesn't fit, he'll he'll definitely call me on that. He's been great with that too.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's good to have that good editor. Um, really important uh, for a writer, you know. Good proofreader, um, fantastic. So, so you mean uh, you were saying something like uh, the internet? You mean it, it's not all real? <laughs> <laughs> Shocking,
1: I know. Uh, you know, most fortunately, most of the historical stuff is is pretty accurate. But you know, I don't I don't trust anything that I that I get off the internet. I always at least go with one other source as well. Yeah, you just
3: you just can't uh, can't believe everything you read. No, unfortunately, um, y- y- you have to. Yeah, you have to look around and see from a couple of different angles what it is, rather than just one word but For sure yeah well it's certainly been a pleasure so now do you have a website of your own that people can find you at i do absolutely
1: it's uh www.myname which is so www.davidspeterson.com and peterson is p-e-d as in david e-r-s-o-n so it looks like peterson but it's crowns peterson so www.davidspeterson.com
3: that D in there does that? Does that mean you're from? Isn't that something to do with um...
1: Scandinavia? <laughs> yeah, I was
3: gonna. Well, I was going say because they they spelt it differently depending on which which part of that Scandinavia you were from.
1: Yes, my father was Norwegian, so it's uh, I'm a I'm a tall Norwegian.
3: Well, there that's, there you go. London, and so that's, that's it. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> big, tall, and uh, so that's fantastic. And of course, uh, your books are out uh, available anywhere, um, and Amazon. Um, we're going to have that up on the website as well. We'll have your website and uh, the books, uh, so people can do one click and pick up any of your books. That's
1: great.
3: So, um, our guest has been. The author, David S. Peterson, and we have been talking about writing and his latest book, Death Overdue, and it's part of the uh, Detective Heath Barrington Mysteries, and I believe it's the fifth. That is correct. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.
2: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
2: Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well,
0: good night.